All right, now if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We'll begin reading in verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled, and got him out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Thank God for his word. Let's bow together and seek our Lord's blessing. Our Father, we bow before your throne this evening. Father, we bow seeking a message from you. Father, how we beg of you that you would be pleased to speak to our hearts this evening by your word. Father, if you would speak, we'd hear. If you would take your word and apply it to our hearts, we'd be blessed. We'd see the Lord Jesus Christ and trust our souls to him. Rest in him who's done all things well. Father, I pray that you'd cause everything that is said and done here tonight to bring praise and glory to the name of Christ our Savior. Father, cause his name to be extolled so that he fills our sight, he fills our senses, so that all we see is Christ. Put out of our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our anything 
about ourselves uh, that we might trust in and cause us to see Christ. Father, show us your glory, we pray. Your redemptive glory for your people in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray a blessing for this woman that we mentioned earlier. Father, I pray that there'll be others who seek you. Father, in this wicked, wicked day in which we live, how we beg of you that you'd reach your mighty hand down, stir the hearts of people, and call, turn their hearts to thee, cause them to seek thee. Father, cause us to seek you. This is not just a one-time thing. Cause us to continually seek thee. And Lord, that you might be pleased to find us. Father, we continue to pray for the sick and the afflicted, the heartbroken of our number. Father, we pray that you'd be with them, that you'd heal, that you'd especially comfort their hearts with your presence. And Father, all these things we ask in that name which is above every name. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, now I've titled the message this evening, Christ the Profitable Prisoner. I want us to see Joseph as a type, a picture of Christ the prisoner and how he was so prosperous as a, and profitable as a prisoner. And I have three points to draw this picture. I, I thought today about, remember those, um, you follow the, you draw a picture by following the dots, you know. You got three dots. It's a simple picture. It's Christ. Three points that would draw this picture of Christ for us. And the first one is this. The Lord Jesus Christ was accused and became a prisoner even though he never sinned. Joseph is a picture of that. Look at verse 7, Genesis 39. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now I like how Joseph said this. If he commits adultery with Potiphar's wife, he's going to hurt his master, isn't he? But he's going to sin against God. We need to remember that our sin harms other people. It does. But our sin is against God. David harmed lots of people with his sin. But in Psalm 51, when he was confessing it to the Lord, David said, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. How many people were hurt by David's sin? They said, Lord, I've sinned against you. Sinned against you. And here's why I point that out. Our sin is against God. So we get some idea how wicked and how shameful our sin is We've sinned against God. God who has never done anything but good. That's who we've sinned against. Everything God does is good and right and holy. Yet we've sinned against him. I also point, I mean that's shameful isn't it? I also point this out. Our sin is against God. So we will be amazed at God's salvation. Now our sin is against God. Our sin is racked up a debt. We have a debt that we cannot pay. And that debt is owed to God. 
Now the debt's owed to him, but he paid it. He's the one that paid it for his people. God's the offended party, yet God is the one who made peace for his people. And he did it by the blood of his cross. We have a penalty of sin that we cannot pay. Our penalty is for sin is eternal damnation. Eternity in hell by our suffering wouldn't put away one sin. Not one. So you know what God did? He paid the penalty for his people. And he did it by condemning his son in our place. That's something, isn't it? Our sin has offended God. Our sin offends God's holy character. So you know what God did? He took the sin of his people and made it his. Made it to be his sons. And he made his people what he loves. He made them holy and righteous so they'd be accepted in his holy presence. God did that for the people who sinned against him. Now that's amazing, isn't it? That is amazing. And as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know this, he never sinned. He refused to sin because his sin would be against his father. He loved his father. He was determined to honor his father. His father trusted him with all of God's glory. The father trusted him to redeem his people from their sin. And the Lord Jesus sinned even once. That purpose would fail. And God would lose all of his glory. And the the Lord Jesus Christ refused to sin against his father because he was determined to glorify and honor his father. And this thing went on. Look at verse 10. It came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. You know, this thing with Joseph going on, it wasn't a one-time thing. He didn't refuse her once and she said, oh, you know. Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph every day, day after day after day. This went on. Yet Joseph still refused to sin against God. He refused to hurt his master and commit adultery with this woman. Now what a good picture of our sinless Savior that is. Our Lord was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. As a man in the flesh, He went through everything that we go through without sin. You and I fail every single time we're tempted. Every single time. And the temptation doesn't have to be hard, does it? I mean, just the slightest temptation. And we sin because that's what we are. But our Savior was tempted. He was tested every day of His earthly ministry And he never sinned one time in thought, word, or deed. He's this perfect, sinless man. The God-man. He's the sinless, holy Savior of sinners. But, here's the second point. The sinless Savior still became a prisoner of God's justice. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house 
and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, they left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, they left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Now Joseph became a prisoner, even though he didn't do anything wrong. And Moses points out here specifically, he was put in the place in the prison where the king's prisoners were bound. Now I'm just assuming that is the worst conditions of the prison. I think that had to be the worst. The prisoners in that section, they didn't just commit some common ordinary crime. They committed a crime against the king. A serious business, treason or something like that. And their punishment was worse. Their conditions were, were worse. And that's where Joseph was put. Now that is such a good picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior, who was falsely accused. He did no sin. He knew no sin. Neither was any guile found in his mouth. Yet he was condemned. He was condemned to die for sin. And every accusation against him is false. Let's look at a couple examples. First, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Beginning in verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus. They knew they couldn't make any accurate, true charge stick to him, so they sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses. And they said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, when Matthew says here, they found none, what he means is they didn't find anybody telling the same lie. They had lots of people willing to lie on the Lord, but no two lies agreed. And if you're going to condemn a man to death, you, 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 got, you know, got, but got to be by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Somebody's lies got, got to got to match up here. And look how easy it was for them to find people who were willing to come make false accusations against the only holy, righteous man who ever lived. They found plenty of people willing to come lie on him. Now that just shows you our nature. That shows you how depraved and wicked and how far gone our nature is. And our Savior endured that, those false accusations. And he still went ahead and suffered and died for his people. Now that's the difference between his character and ours. Between his nature and ours. Now read on verse 63. But Jesus held his peace. And all these false accusations against he held his peace. 
And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. Blasphemy. What further need have we witnesses? Behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He's guilty of death. Now the accusation that stuck against the Savior was this. He said he's God. All those false accusations, and then there's this one. This accusation is not false one. It's true. He is God. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, is God. He is God. He's not God decaffeinated. He's not God watered down. He is God. Jesus of Nazareth is as fully God as God the Father is fully God. He is God. And I love that. I love the truth of that. I love to think about that. I love to think that the Savior that I trust is God. Now, since he's God, he can't fail to say. That's why I love thinking about this. Our Savior in the flesh is God. Now, this is another, and that's why they condemned him to death, because he told the truth. He is God. He didn't didn't open his mouth about any false accusation. But when they pointed out the true one, he told him, didn't he? You're right. And this is just another window into how sin and sinful and dead and far gone our nature is. They hated the Lord Jesus as God. They didn't care for him to be a healer. They didn't care for him to, to work miracles. They hated him as God. Man hates the Jesus who's sovereign over them who can do with them as he pleases. Now he just told them he's king. He can do with them as he pleases. They are in his hand to do with as he will. And rather than begging for mercy, they said, let's put him to death in the harshest, most humiliating, most painful way we can think of. Now that's our nature that is on full display at the cross. Yet Christ died for his people anyway. That's amazing. You You just keep drawing these contrasts between the nature of Christ and you and me. (laughs) It's astounding that he'd suffer and die for the likes of us. Luke says that they accused the Lord of trying to overthrow the Roman government. Now that's such a lie. Our Lord flat said about that. Here's how, here's, here's how he said, you handle Caesar. You render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. <laughs> Pay your taxes. You do these things. He always taught his people to be good citizens. The Lord didn't come to overthrow a government. He, he didn't come to deal with political governments of the world. He came to overthrow self-righteous, legalistic religion. That's what he came, came to overthrow. And while, you, while he's overthrowing that, he said, you'd be a good citizen. Yet they accuse him. I mean, he was probably the best citizen in the whole Roman Empire. (laughs) Had to be, didn't he? Yet they accused him of sedition against the king. Now hold your place there, Matthew. Look over at John chapter 18. 
We'll come back there to Matthew in just a second. But look at this, John 18, verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall. Get this. Lest they should be defiled, that they might not eat the Passover. So Pilate went out unto them. I always wonder, Pilate, why didn't you just tell him, go home? But he went out to them and said, what accusation bring you against this man? And listen to their answer. They answered and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, we would have delivered him up unto thee. (laughs) My soul. Pilate comes out and says, you boys want me to put this fellow to death? What's the charge? And they said, now what? Let's not get into any specifics here. You know, we don't want you to examine our false witnesses too closely. You distrust us. He's a malefactor or else we wouldn't have brought him to you. But we don't need, we don't need to, to bother with, you know, coming up with official charges and stuff. Just, just put him to death. They put the Lord of glory to death. They violated their own law. They violated their own judicial system. They violated Rome's judicial system. And they did it wrapping themselves in religion. My constant prayer is that the Lord would deliver us from that. I know one sin is not worse than another sin, but to my way of thinking, that has to be the, the worst sin that they're the most heinous sin that there is, religious hypocrisy. Just doing something so cruel and wrapping yourself in religion. But you know what? That's our nature. I mean, I pray the Lord deliver us from that because this is our nature. The Lord saw this going on. It happened in His presence. And He didn't call 12 legions of angels. He went to the cross anyway. To suffer and die for his people. And here's another way Joseph is such a good picture of Christ our Savior. It's never recorded in Scripture that Joseph ever opened his mouth to defend himself to Potiphar. Not recorded. Now, it wouldn't surprise me that Joseph said, Master, I didn't do that. I mean, he probably said that. I don't know. But this is what I do know. It's not recorded in Scripture. I have a pretty good idea why it's not recorded in Scripture. It's to be a picture of Christ our Savior who never one time opened his mouth to defend himself against all that slew of false charges. And he told the scribes and Pharisees, he told Pilate, it's true, I'm king. He told them that, didn't he? But he never opened his mouth to defend himself against these false charges. And when he did that, he fulfilled the Scripture. He fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. That's why he didn't open his mouth. It's to fulfill the scripture. And look back at Matthew chapter 26 again. Verse 62 And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? 
He couldn't believe the Lord wasn't trying to answer against these charges. Look over at chapter 27. This is when they brought him to Pilate. Verse 12, And he was accused of the chief priests and elders. He answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now that is amazing. I know why Pilate marveled greatly. The Lord did not defend himself against any of these charges. This I can guarantee you, you and I would. Boy, you bring a false charge against me, buddy, I'm on a war path. <laughs> There's enough things about me you say that are true, but you bring a false charge against me. Now we got trouble. Our Lord did not defend himself against one of those charges. Which brings me to the third point. And I hope this, this will be a very, very rich blessing to us. In all of salvation, Christ is the doer of it. Look back in our text in Genesis 39. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. I don't know how you could say that about any other prisoner. He's a prisoner, but everything he did still prospered. That happened as a picture of Christ our Savior. You know, Joseph, I mean, this man's something else. He keeps making life easier for all of his bosses. I mean, even back to, to his father, he made life easier for his father. He made life easier and better, more profitable for, for Potiphar. And now for the keeper of the prison. I mean, Potiphar just turned everything over to Joseph. I mean, so much so he didn't know what he had. I mean, just, he didn't care. He didn't worry about it. Joseph's in charge. I don't have to worry about it. That's how much Potiphar trusted Joseph. And now the jailer's doing the same thing. He just committed everything to Joseph. He committed the prisoners to another prison, prisoner. Gary, I bet in your entire career out there at that penitentiary you didn't do that once. I mean, you didn't hand the keys to that place to a prisoner one time ever. This man who kept the king's prisoners, I mean, serious business, did that to Joseph. Just gave the keys to the place to Joseph. And as long as Joseph was around, the jailer's job was easy. Joseph was taking care of everything. I mean, I'm sure Joseph made sure the prisoners didn't escape. If they, when it came time to feed them and all those things, you know, Joseph supervised all that. Um, I bet they didn't have any exercise time, but if they did, Joseph supervised that. Joseph made sure all the prisoners kept themselves in check. Just, you know, you didn't have to, to, uh, do all the things, you know, that you gotta do to keep prisoners in check. Joseph did it. But you didn't have a prisoner like that, did you, Gary? <laughs> The keeper of this prison did because he had in his prison a picture of Christ. Now, 
It wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that's what Joseph was doing in the prison. He was taking care of all the, the details and running of the prison. I'm sure that that went on. But you know, that's not actually what Scripture says, is it? What Scripture says is, whatever they did there, Joseph was the doer of it. Whatever happened there, Joseph did it. Now get a hold of your seat. This is a blessing. This is a glorious picture of Christ our Savior. In all of salvation, Christ is the doer of it. He's the Christ by himself has done all the work of salvation. That's why he could say it's finished. Because in all of salvation, Christ is the doer of it, and he told us it's finished. It's done. Now let's go back for just a moment and think about Christ not defending himself against all these false charges. Do you know why he didn't defend himself against those false charges? Because they were true. Because they were true. God the Father made his son sin for his people. Those charges became true. Everything I did was charged to him so that Christ became the doer of them. Now, I want you to listen to me. Listen to me very, very carefully on this. I want this to be crystal clear in our minds. When the Lord Jesus Christ was made sin, he was not made a sinner. Not in any stretch of the imagination. Our Savior never committed any sin. Never. Scripture says... He was made sin. He was made sin itself. Not that he was made a sinner. That's what scripture says. So our Savior, even though he was made sin, he didn't have any sinful thoughts and sinful desires and hateful things going through his mind about his father. He never sinned. He's the sinless sacrifice who was made sin for his people. Now, can I explain that so our carnal mind is going to understand it? Absolutely not. And you beware of anybody that says they can't. <laughs> this is just what God said he did. And whether I understand it or not, that's what happened because that's what God said he did. When Christ was made sin, the sin of his people became his sin. Now, open the service telling you how important the word of God is. Let's see if we find that in God's word. Look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Now, there's no question in anybody's mind here is that this is the Savior speaking. This is a, in Hebrews chapter 10. It said this is what the Savior said. So this is the Savior speaking here. Okay, we got that. Look what else he says, verse 12. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. 
so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. Now the Savior didn't say, the iniquity of my people has taken hold upon me. He said, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me and I'm not able to look up. I'm not able to look my father in the face because I'm ashamed. I've been made sin. I'm ashamed to look at my father in the face. Now, if he had said, Frank sin has taken hold upon me, well, he wouldn't really feel any shame for that, would he? No, he could still look his father in the face because he's doing a, an honorable thing. You know, I'm, I, I've taken Frank's sin. I'm paying for, for Frank. But that's not what he said. He said, they're my iniquities. Mine and the sin of God's elect became Christ's. That's the only way he could put them away. They had to be his first. Look at Psalm 69. Here it says it again. Psalm 69. Verse 4. Well, verse 3. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dry. He would cry, I thirst. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. Now, no question anybody's mind here is that that's the Savior speaking. That's Christ speaking there from the cross. Look what else he said, verse 5. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. The Savior didn't say, Father, you know the foolishness of my people. He didn't say the sins of my people are not hid from thee. He said, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. The sin of God's elect truly became Christ, so that he became guilty of them. Not legally, not just in a, in a paperwork you know, kind of fact, uh, fashion, but actually. He was numbered with the transgressors. The Father, this, the salvation that we have in Christ is, is going to be just. It's going to be legal. It's going to be holy. It's going to be merciful and gracious and loving too, isn't it? but it's going to be just. It's going to be holy. So at the cross, the Father did not put an innocent man to death because that would be unjust. If the Father put an innocent man to death, then all of salvation is based upon an unjust transaction. <laughs> the Father put a guilty man to death. Christ became the doer of the sins of his people. And when he took those sins in his own body on the tree, now he can shed his blood to put them away. The Lord Jesus Christ put those sins away, the sin of his people, by the blood of his sacrifice. And when he did that, he earned a salvation for his people that's just. And if it's just, if it's holy, if it's right, if you can never poke a hole in it, it can never be lost. That's a prosperous prisoner, isn't it? Seeing all of salvation, Christ is the doer of it. He became the doer of the sin of his people so he could give them his righteousness. He, he the Father, who made him who knew no sin to be sin. He made him sin for us who knew no sin that what? 
we might be made righteous. Not just declared righteous, made righteous. Made the righteousness of God in him. The Lord Jesus Christ was made what he was not. So he could make his people what they're not. He could make them righteous. Christ made his people righteous by his obedience to the law. When Christ obeyed the law, every one of his people obeyed it too. Because they were in him. Obeying the law in him just as surely as we are disobeying the law in Adam. God's elect were obeying the law in Christ. He's the doer of our righteousness. I told the folks at Danville a couple weeks ago. I used to work with a fella. Mark was his first name. And he said this um, about me. He said, Frank has a keen grasp of the obvious. I guess that's true. Well, here is the obvious. If Christ is the doer of our righteousness, we can never be condemned. Because our righteousness is perfect if Christ is the doer of it. Christ is the doer of our holiness. He has become our holiness. He has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, holiness, and redemption. Everybody who believes on Christ is holy. Is holy. Because He's holy. He's our holiness. You can't do anything to make yourself holy. But if Christ is the doer of your holiness, you're holy and can never be condemned. Christ is the doer of our forgiveness. If your sin is forgiven, there's one reason for it. Christ shed his blood to put your sin away. It's the only way God can forgive your sin is if he justly punished Christ in your place. (laughs) Sin is forgiven because Christ shed his blood to put it away. David said this, Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See, the only way your sin can be forgiven is if it's covered. Covered in what? The blood of Christ. See, he's the doer of the forgiveness. Paul wrote in Colossians 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is always tied to the blood. So Christ is the doer of our forgiveness. Christ is the doer of the cleansing. Cleansing us from the filth of our sin. First John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light. If we walk looking to Christ and trusting Christ. Looking to him. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his son. Cleanseth us. From all sin. His blood pays the debt and it cleanses us. The double cure. Christ is the doer of our preserving. Peter wrote 1 Peter 1, verse 5, speaking of believers who are kept. Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, that's not the Baptist faith or the Catholic faith or the Christian faith or the Buddhist faith. It's faith in Christ, it's trust in Christ. If we're kept, if we're kept to the end, it's because Christ is the doer of it. Now look at John 17. We'll look at this in closing. One day, real soon, we will be shocked how quickly this day comes. 
our Savior is going to come and He's going to take us out of these bodies of sin and take us to be with Him and glorify us so that we will be with Him where He is. And when that happens, describe all the various sicknesses that you want. Cancer, the mumps, the measles, the pneumonia, the COVID, whatever it is you can think of. That's not what did it. That's not what took this life. Christ is the doer of it. I can show you that in John 17, verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Every single time a believer leaves this life and goes to the next one, it's because Christ is the doer of it. Because it's his will, his people be with him where he is. Now that won't take away the pain of loss. It won't take away the the sorrow of missing um, a loved one. But it can still make us right glad, can it? To think this is the will of the Savior. He did this. This didn't happen by accident. This didn't happen because some random germ come and caused some problem. Christ is the doer of it. So that his beloved child can be with him. Christ is the doer of that. I can rest in that, can't you? If Lord Jesus Christ became a prisoner for you, for your sin, then he's the doer of your salvation. And if Christ, here, here's the obvious again. If Christ is the doer of your salvation, you're completely saved because everything he does is perfect. And I'll tell you one more time, in case the Lord calls me home for Sunday, come to Christ. Now come to Him. He's the doer of a perfect salvation. Now come to Him and rest. All right, I hope that will be a blessing to you. Let's bow together. Our Father, human words are completely insufficient to be able to thank you for Christ our Savior. We can't begin to describe his glory, his His love, the sufficiency of his sacrifice and his obedience. Oh, what he is to his people. But Father, we do thank you and we do praise you with all the being that you've given us, how we thank you. And Father, I beg of you that you take your word as it's been preached this evening. That you'd enable your people to ignore the stumbling and bumbling of this crackpot. And Father, that you'd apply your word to each heart here this evening. And cause us to see Christ as everything we need. Give us rest and hope and peace. And trusting in him and him alone. For it's in his precious name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Jonathan, come lead us in a closing hymn, if you would.